Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. It's great to be here. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We'll, we'll go there here in just a moment. But thank you for those kind words, Al, and, and it is great to be here at Meadowview. We, we are so blessed with the partnership we have with your church. Um, it means a whole lot to me personally. I've known Jeff, I've known your, your pastor for probably 15, 16 years. Uh, I've known Jonathan for probably eight or nine years, and Mason, and, and uh, many of you I've seen and been a part of, and, 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 and we've partnered together recently, the last couple of years, on some really uh, uh, cool mission endeavors. Uh, how many of you have, have been to or been part of one of the following things? Uh, Puerto Rico, um, on any of the trips we, we've taken, raise your hand, all right? Um, Texas or Florida for disaster relief, all right? Uh, a Koei outreach. It's been a few years since we did it. Oh, man, I'm, I, that's I'm incredible. And then uh, we've had a few that have been part of Washington, D.C., the partnership we had in D.C. And I know I'm probably leaving out a few others, but um, I just want to say thank you so much for being part of this partnership. CrossNet Baptist Network has become more of a regional network of Southern Baptist churches that are committed to spread the gospel, not just here at home, but all over the world through disaster relief, through mission trips, and to help strengthen and to help resource our churches as we do that, as we try to build partnerships around the world. And so we're grateful that you guys are part of that, of that network. We have, uh, it's, it's just not secluded to, to Bradley County. We have several churches that are outside of Bradley County that are part of this regional network that God has led us to be a part of. But um, I, I'm excited to be here, and uh, uh, I look forward to sharing God's Word with you. One of the things I want to talk to you about this morning is, uh, is communicating love without words. Now, I know we live in, in a society where words are very important. I mean, if you think of some of the different professions that are out there, if you're in the medical field, you sort of have your own language, don't you? Have you ever tried to read the, the words that are on a prescription bottle? Okay, we have no idea, but we trust that language. Uh, lawyers, they have their own language. Some of the legal terms and legal jargon, I mean, we're, we're completely lost whenever we need to get some help, some legal help and some expertise in that area. Uh, we live in a society where words are very important. Um, nine out of ten marriage counselors will tell you that those that are having marriage difficulties in their life and that those that end in divorce, nine out of ten are not there because of what they said to each other, Nine out of ten are there because of what they did not say to each other. So communicating words is very important. In fact, the Bible talks about it in James 3, 4. It says, your, your tongue is like the rudder on a what? On a ship. It can turn you to the left. It can turn you to the right. It can get you off track before you, before you know it. So we live in a society where words are very, very, very important in how we communicate to others. Well, there is a, there's a recent poll that was taken uh, when it comes to effective communication for you to be able to remember something um, when it's communicated to you. Uh, I'm going to give you four choices here this morning and, and to see which one you think is the right answer when it comes to how important words are for communication between you and me or you and someone else. 
I'm going to give you four choices from this survey, from this, this Gallup poll that was done a few years ago. So here's the, here's the choices. Uh, how many of you would say 75%, 50%, 25%, or 7%? Those are the four options. We're going we're to do a survey here. So you've got to raise your, you've got to pick one of those four from this Gallup poll that they, they did this, this, this survey on effective communication. What percentage of it has to do with the words that are spoken? Okay, so here's the first one. How many of you would say from that Gallup poll that the survey said... 75% had to do with the words that were spoken. Raise your hand if you're in that 75% camp. Okay, there's a few. How many would say that from that Gallup poll, that for it to be effective communication, that 50% of it has to do with the words alone? Raise your hand. All right, a few more. Now remember, you've got to pick one of the two that, that are left uh, if you haven't already chosen. How many would say that 25% has to do with words? All right, and then the last one. How many would say that seven percent? All right, now we're all over the map. And let me tell you, I, when I first guessed this, I was completely wrong. But according to this Gallup poll, the survey said that for it to be effective communication, only seven percent has to do with the words alone. So what is the other 93% for it to be effective communication? Well, they, they said that 33% of it has to do with this word called inflection. And inflection is how, how you kind of, uh, uh, how, how, you, uh, in, how enthusiastic and, 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 and how you word things, how, how you use your voice. And, and if, you're, if you've ever been in a class where you have one of those monotone teachers, you're not going to retain too much of what they said because you just can't stay with it. It's, 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 it's just sort of monotone. It's, just, uh, it's, it's on one level and you, you just don't retain any of it. But here's an example of inflection. We have a dog, and his name is Fergie. And uh, if I were to say to Fergie, Fergie, it's time to eat. Would you like to eat? Fergie would just sit there and look at me. What? <laughs> now, if I were to say, Fergie, are you ready to eat? Let's, let's go out here in the kitchen and let's eat. Fergie would be doing a little doggy dance, running around in circles. Why? Because it was inflection. It was how I said it. Does that make sense? So that's the other 30, 33%. So 7% has to do with words. 33% has to do with inflection. What is the other 60%? 60% has to do with more than words. It has to do with more than how you enthusiastically announce or pronounce whatever it is that you're trying to communicate. It has to do with something that we see in Scripture. When we look at the greatest communicator of love that ever existed, it has to do with how Jesus Christ communicated love without words. How he demonstrated love to a world that needed desperately to see what love was all about. In fact, in, in the Bible, in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, it gives us a little bit of a clue of what the secret ingredient here is that Jesus did when it came to communicating love in such a tangible way. So if you look at your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, 17 and 18, it says this, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a good question. Verse 18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. 
I find it interesting that the two of those go together in deed and in truth. And then if you look over in chapter 4, look at verses 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another. Well, how do you love one another? Well, you do communicate love with words. And I'm not suggesting this morning that you stop communicating love with your spouse or your family without using words, that you need to communicate that. But what I'm saying is that there's 60% that's more important than all of that, and that has to do with how you tangibly reveal the love of God to others in a way that it is experienced. And that's action. And that's what, the, that's what this verse is talking about. So I want to give you three things this morning. Now, you might want to write these three things down. And these are three things that, that we try to train a lot of our folks that go on mission trips from disaster relief to the partnerships with church planters to across the seas and just the things that are here at home. But there's three things that I see in Scripture that Jesus did that made him an incredible communicator of love. The first one is this. And these are three very simple but yet profound things that Jesus did. Number one, he listened. He listened. Jesus was an incredible listener. Have you ever tried to communicate something to someone that was very important, but they weren't listening? It's frustrating, isn't it? Their attention was somewhere else. It was everywhere else but on you, but you're trying to tell them something very important. Maybe it's happened to you at home. Guys, let me tell you, uh, we are a whole lot weaker in this area of being listeners than what women are. Women, would you agree with that? We, we're just wired differently when it comes to that. Now, that's not an excuse. It is a major weakness that guys have. I, I have that weakness in my life. Uh, and I picked it up from my dad. My dad was a godly man. I've learned so much from my dad. He, knew, he loved the Lord. But my dad, back in the day, he was a mailman, and he would walk his route. And so my dad would come home from walking his route, and he would have to have three things back in that day. He would have to have his green Lazy Boy recliner chair. It was a puke green color. It was from the 70s. They no longer make that color because it was so ugly. He had to have his green Lazy Boy recliner chair. He would kick back in that chair. He had to have the newspaper in his hand. And then the 5 o'clock news was on all three TV channels. Just three TV channels back in the day. And so my dad's routine, he would come in, he would kick back in that lazy boy recliner. Every so often, he would look over the corner of the newspaper at the 5 o'clock news. That was his zone. Dad was in dad's zone. Guess what? I, I have my own lazy boy recliner chair in my home, and, and I sort of have my dad's zone at times as well. So as I grew older as a teenager, I began to really question when I would come home from ball practice, from work, from school, from being outside, is dad really hearing anything that I have to say when, he, when he's in dad's zone? And so I, I, t I put it to a, a theory. I tested 
my father. Because I, I would come home and I would say something to dad and then I would say something to mom and the reaction from both was completely different. So I would run in and, and I, this one day I told my dad, I said, dad, my, and my younger brother Ronnie was always into mischief. We grew up in Manassas, Virginia. In our backyard there was a creek and there was woods and lit, it's the Bull Run Creek and, and, and we were always back there you know, climbing trees and playing in the creek. And so one day I came flying and I said, dad, guess what happened? Ronnie was climbing a tree, and he fell out again, Dad. This time, when he fell out, he fell into the creek. His, raw, his head hit a rock. Dad, Ronnie's head has come completely off. Now, I kid you not, my dad's response was a two-syllable grunt that men have mastered. Do you know what it was? That's it. You guys know it. My dad's response was, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, that, that is the most spoken utterance in a man's language. They say that women speak 24,000 words a day. Men speak 7,000 words a day. And I think 6,990 of those are, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, so I, my dad did not hear a single thing that I said at that time. And I figured out what the deal was. You see, and, and here's a secret that, that I see in Scripture as well is that when my dad was in dad's zone, his attention, his, his focus was on something else. It didn't matter what I would have said at that moment. And I learned a secret from, about listening. Listening is not all about right here, your ears. But listening is greatly enhanced by something else that God's given us, and that's your eyes. That's your eyes. I can tell you're listening right now, those of you that are still awake, by your eyes. And I believe that when Jesus had these encounters with people all throughout Scripture, that Jesus stopped long enough to listen and to engage them in conversation. So here's a question I have for you this morning. How many of you have missed out? How many, how many people have missed out on experiencing your love at one time or another because you were simply too busy to stop long enough to listen. Uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't expect Randy to step on any toes, but listen, my toes would be the first my hand would be the first hand to go up. In ministry as a missionary these past 19 years before that as a student pastor and associate pastor for 18 years on Sunday mornings, I have been guilty of that. I mean, I've been so consumed and, and, and so uh, uh, my thought process was thinking about somewhere I had to be in 10 minutes. Something that happened a few minutes earlier that didn't go so right. Somebody that I needed to see before they left. And all along, somebody's standing right there that God put in my path. And I'm giving them that cordial, uh-huh, and maybe that cordial head shake. But I'm missing out on everything they have to say because my focus is everywhere else but on them. I think all of us, if we were honest, we would say that we're guilty. In Scripture, I see instances where Jesus stopped and he did some incredible things when it came to communicating love. Look at Luke 19. Uh, Luke 19, 8. And I'll just summarize this story for you. But here's one example from Scripture of where Jesus stopped long enough to listen to somebody that no one else would give the day of time to, including his disciples. The story is about Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus had three strikes against him. One is that he was a tax collector. We don't like taxes today. So he took a cut of all the taxes that people had come in. Two, he was a chief tax collector, which means he, t- he took a bigger cut. He got to take a cut on all the other tax collectors, all the funds that come in from their collection. And then three, the third strike that Zacchaeus had against him is that he was a crook. He took more money. He taxed people more money for personal gain than what he was supposed to do that. And so people would say to Jesus, why are you stopping to engage this man in conversation? He's a crook. He doesn't deserve your time, Jesus. But that didn't stop Jesus because an encounter happened. Zacchaeus, I believe Zacchaeus was being drawn to Jesus. I believe that we see in his life that the things that he thought would fulfill him, wealth, possessions, that, that, that would satisfy him, but he was unsatisfied. And I believe that Zacchaeus heard this buzz about Jesus all over the countryside, all these different travels that Jesus was doing and all the great miracles and all the signs and the teachings that were taking place that Zacchaeus had to see and had to get to close to whatever it was, this buzz about Jesus that was happening in that day and time. And so he came to, the, he came to Jericho. And because the crowds were so big and because he was small in stature, Zacchaeus climbed up into the sycamore tree. And as, so he could see Jesus as he came by. And when Jesus came by, he noticed Zacchaeus up in that tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to go to your house. I'm going to visit with you today. Again, this is somebody that others would not give the time of day to. And they would say, we have good cause not to stop and entertain this sinner. Why are you doing it, Jesus? Well, Jesus went to his home. Conversation developed between the two of them. He stayed there with him. And I believe that during that time that Jesus probably listened a little bit to Zacchaeus and was able to see what was happening in his own life and what was missing. And then as he was able to see, I believe that going back to what we just read in Scripture about indeed and in truth, I believe that Jesus went and that was the indeed part, that he was there to express kindness and love. But then the truth came in, and I believe that Jesus, as he had that conversation with Zacchaeus at his home, and he began to hear from Zacchaeus that Jesus was able to to interact and and to exchange with him some things about truth, about how you treat people fairly, about how you run a practice, about how you are to be a businessman in the world, in the marketplace, about how you're supposed to treat people fairly, about what is important in life, about who God is and about God's love and about God's plan for Zacchaeus. And and here's the end result in Luke 19.8. After that exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus, this is what it says. Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone... Out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Wow. I mean, you talk about a person's life that's turned upside down. His universe is rocked for eternity. Here here he gets half of his possessions. He sells that. He gives it to the poor. If he took $100 from one family unfairly, he's going to pay them back $400. That's total transformation. Why did it happen? Because Jesus stopped long enough to listen to someone that no one else would give the time of day to. Amen? 
You also see in Scripture about the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. You also see in Scripture about the adulterous woman, the prostitute, that Jesus stopped an angry mob from from stoning her to death. And in both these instances, Jesus stepped in and he had conversations with both of them. And he listened to them and he was able to reveal some truth about who he is and about God's love and their lives were transformed. In fact, the Bible says that not only were their lives transformed, but they went back and told their family and they they told their townships about what Jesus did, that you have to come meet and hear this man for yourselves. The Bible says that many from that town, many from those places that those two women were from, began to know and experience who God was through Jesus Christ. It all starts with being a person who stops long enough to listen. So I, I, I just encourage you, at home, within the family, if things aren't going well, maybe you need to look back and say, am I really a good listener? And I, am I listening to my spouse? Am I listening to my children? And then it goes to the workplace. It goes you know, down the street. It goes to Walmart. It goes across the streets. It, it, grow, it goes across our state if we, as we go to Nashville, to Cookville. It goes across our nations as we go to places like Puerto Rico and the Grand Bahamas and wherever disaster strikes and then to places like Nepal and, 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 and um, Sri Lanka and other places we've been here recently through missions. It starts by being a good listener. The second thing I see in Scripture, number two, How did Jesus communicate love effectively without words? Number two is this. Jesus touched. Jesus touched. And when I'm talking about touch this morning, I'm talking about touch in the physical, affirmative, appropriate way. Jesus was not afraid to get his hands dirty. I mean, he would not walk away from an uncomfortable situation. If someone was dirty and... And if someone's clothes were tethered, if someone's hair was unkempt, if they had a body odor about them, if they had a stronghold on their life, if they had sin in in their life, if they were the downcast, if they were the ones that everyone else would walk around, Jesus would go right up to them. And he would share God's love to them. And he was authentic to them. We read in in places in Scripture where the Bible says that Jesus, in places like um, Matthew 8 uh, three, and, and, and it, where it says that Jesus healed with what? Jesus healed with personal touch. And then we read in places like Matthew 9.20 and 9.21 about a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. She had been sick for 12 years. A lot of people believe that that woman was the mother of Peter, that, that she had been sick for 12 years. And just like Zacchaeus, that all this buzz about this this man, Jesus, that she heard that that he was coming close to where she lived. The Bible says that so many people had gathered around Jesus as he was passing by, that she could not get close enough, but she got close enough to simply reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And as as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus knew who she was. And she was demonstrating her faith in Jesus. And Jesus said today, you are healed. There's something about personal touch that Jesus wants to communicate to you and I that is so real. When when I was growing up, I remember Jonathan, I was in seventh grade and and my first crutch crutch was was on a girl named Judy. And I remember in seventh grade, uh, how many of you guys are in seventh grade over here? Anybody in seventh grade? Uh, I remember when I was in seventh grade walking down the hallway with Judy 
And my arms were flinging and her arms were flinging. And every so often, my fingers would touch hers. And it was like, whoo. <laughs> Do you remember that time? And I didn't know, am I supposed to reach out and grab her hand and walk down the hallway holding her hand? Or if I do that, is she going to slap me silly? <laughs> now, I say that to say this. This is, this is so cool how God designed us. There are more nerve endings in the tips of your fingers than anywhere else in your body. Is that not cool? That's by God's design. And I believe that we're, when we live a life that says we're not afraid to get our, our hands dirty, no matter what kind of baggage you carry, no matter how you smell, no matter how you dress, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what side of the railroad tracks you live on, no matter how wealthy you might be, uh, I'm not afraid to communicate God's love by being a person of affirmation and affection in the appropriate way. It'll make all the difference in the world when you communicate touch to others. Jesus was incredible when it came to being a person of touch. The last thing that I want to share with you, number three, is this. Number one, Jesus demonstrated love by being a person that stopped long enough to listen. Number two, Jesus communicated love by being a person of touch. He was not afraid to get his hands dirty. Number three, and this is my favorite one of all, is that he showed up. He showed up. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the, the Word. What, what is the Word? Well, the Word was Jesus. Because in John 1, 14, it says, the Word became flesh. What does that mean, the Word became flesh? It's the story of God becoming man through Jesus Christ. That God came into this world through His Son, Jesus to experience every kind of walk of life that you and I go through, from headache to heartache to trial to tribulation to temptation to failures of others around us to, to, uh, to, to tasting what death is all about and even experiencing stress. Jesus could have written a bestseller on stress. Why did he go through all of that? Well, one, because we needed to be redeemed and restored because of sin in our life. But two, he came to us to reveal the very nature and the very characteristic of a loving God and who God is. And when we pray to God our Father, and when there's been storms and stress in my life, and I pray to God the Father, and I pray in the name of Jesus, I don't, I don't know about you, but it gives me this, eternal, this internal peace and this sort of this code that comes over me that when I pray to God the Father and through Jesus Christ, that I'm not praying to a Savior, to a God that sits on an ivory throne that can't relate to everyday life. I pray to a God, to a Father, to a Savior in Jesus Christ that actually lived it, that experienced life as you and I, and even so much more. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort when I pray to God the Father, knowing that He knows what I'm walking through. It lifts me up. And then it goes to the umph degree when, it, when we talk about God showing up. It goes to Calvary. No greater love can one give than to lay down his life. And Jesus Christ loved us so much that he showed up at the point of death for you and for me. He took your sin, he took my sin, because sin has no place in heaven. How can a sinful person go to heaven where God allows no sin? It was made possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took your sin, he took my sin. 
That is the greatest act of showing up. Amen? That's the greatest act. I'll close with a story that kind of captures all three of these, and then we'll be finished. And I'll turn it back over to Pastor Al. But here, here's the story. Growing up, my grandfather, we called him Pap-Pap. And, and I, I love my Pap-Pap. Uh, my Pap-Pap lived a hard life. My Pap-Pap would take me fishing sometimes. He lived in Pennsylvania. I grew up in North Virginia. And, and, but my Pap-Pap was far from God. He, he would never go to church, not even for a wedding, not even for a funeral. I was raised by godly parents. I had a great godly grandmother, uh, my Pap-Pap's wife. And she would walk to church every Sunday and Wednesday. She was there all the time. The doors were open. She was at church. But my grandfather would never go. But he would take me fishing. And I looked forward to those days. We would go visit for a week during the summertime in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And he'd take me out fishing. Occasionally, he would let me drive his boat on the water. And I just loved that. I loved it. My grandfather always had a pickup truck. I can always remember him driving a pickup truck. We'd get in that pickup truck. We'd go to the river. We'd go fishing. We'd come home. My grandfather, in, in most cases, was, was pretty jovial when we were there. And I found out why, because my grandfather was a heavy drinker. He was a drinker and he was a smoker. And when he was a drinker, he was kind to us, but he was mean to my grandmother. And, and, and I didn't realize all of that as I was growing up as a kid. Uh, I knew that at different times in, in, in my life growing up, I knew as I grew older that um, my, my relatives, my mom, my dad, my, my cousins, my uncles, they, they would all try to share Christ with my grandfather, but he always rejected anything they had to say about church, about Christianity, about God. He never wanted to hear any of it. He just shut them out. And I never, I never knew why. And, it, and because of the heavy drinking, because of the smoking, uh, it took a toll on my grandfather's life. He developed the lung cancer. He developed liver disease. And, and the last uh, year of my grandfather's life, he had a routine. He would hop in his pickup truck early in the morning. He would go to McDonald's. He would go inside McDonald's, have a cup of coffee. He would get back in his pickup truck with his oxygen tank beside him. He would go back home, and it was day, his day was completely over. He was exhausted. He had no more strength. I don't know why McDonald's, maybe it was just that one reminder that he still had another day on earth, that he would go and have a cup of coffee and come back home. I got a phone call when I was a student pastor in Richmond, Virginia, that you hate to get. My mom was on the other line, and she was crying, and she said, Randy, your pap-pap has just died. And folks, that hit me like a two-by-four. I fell to my knees, and I started to sob like a baby, because all I could think about was where my grandfather was for eternity. And that's a thought that I did not want to deal with. As we gathered together at different parts of the state of Virginia, my brothers and sisters, to make our way to Pennsylvania for the funeral, the pastor of my grandmother's church kept asking if I would speak at my Pap-Pap's funeral service. And I did not want to do that. Oh, you have little faith. I kept putting it off. I didn't even want to answer and he was very persistent. And finally, just to get him to stop asking, I said, sure. I had not prayed about it. I had not thought about it. I just wanted him to stop asking. We got to the funeral home the night before the service. And friends and family had been coming and going. And there's about 10 minutes left, and they were going to turn off the lights. We'd come back the following morning for the service in that funeral home. And I noticed that as the, as the crowd was a little bit sparser, that out in the corner of the room... Um, my father was talking with a gentleman with white hair. And as he was talking to this gentleman, tears were coming down the face of my father. And as this gentleman left, my dad got the rest of us together in another part of that room. 
He said, I've got to share with you what this gentleman from your grandmother's church just shared with me about your, fa- your grandfather. My, my first thought was when I saw my dad crying, I, I said, oh, you know, here's some bad news because we had learned that my grandfather had been in a couple of accidents under the influence of alcohol earlier in his life. And I thought, well, here's one of those bad stories we're all going to get sunk with. This gentleman had left and my dad gathered us together. He said, recently, this gentleman from your grandmother's church said that he, he was up early in the morning and for some reason, he just felt like God told him, you need to, you need to drive around. He drove around Johnstown, and, and before you know it, he came to McDonald's. And he felt like that God was saying to him in so many words, if, if you'll stop long enough to listen and to touch and to show up, watch what I'm going to do today. So he got to that McDonald's at 6 in the morning. There was two people that he saw. One person was behind the counter. Another person was an old, frail, nothing but skin and bones gentleman sitting by himself drinking a cup of coffee with an oxygen tank next to him. He didn't know my grandfather. He knew my grandmother, but he had not put two and two together. He went up to the back of my pap-pap, and as he came around the back of my pap-pap, he put his arm around my pap-pap's shoulder. And then he came around to the front of my grandfather. He said, sir, do you care if I sit across the table, offer a handshake, and just drink a cup of coffee with you? For whatever reason, maybe it was the personal touch, my pap-pap said, sure, why not? They started a conversation from general things, weather, sports, whatever it might have been, and all of a sudden that conversation turned to specific things. And before you knew it, my grandfather was sharing his philosophy of God to the stranger he had never met before, to something we had never heard ourselves. And, and this was it. My grandfather believed that he lived such a hard life that he was such a failure, that he hurt my mom and my aunt and my grandmother and others so much in his life, that he was a complete screw-up, that he was a complete failure. He believed that he was so bad that even God would not want to have a single thing to do with him. That was his philosophy of God's love. This gentleman just listened. Listen, sometimes we need to slow down And sometimes we need to stop long enough to listen, to let somebody share how they really feel and think about things that are important to them. He listened, he listened. And then a spirit of discernment came upon him. And then he started to share some truth. He started to talk about God's unconditional love. The Bible says in, John, in Romans 3.23 that all of us, for, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And he started to go through the Romans road, Romans 6.23, and he began to unpack the gospel and why Jesus came into this world. And, he, and then he took his own personal reflection, his own personal stories and how he had messed up and how he had caused sin and damage to others that he loved in his life. And, and before you know it, he was just going through the whole gospel and sharing that with my grandfather. My grandfather was starting to embrace who God was. And he began to understand how much God really loved him. And then a few moments later, he prayed to make Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. 45 minutes later, my grandfather died of a massive heart attack sitting in that pickup truck 
in that McDonald's parking lot. If it weren't for that gentleman from my grandmother's church, that when God spoke to him and said, if you'll stop long enough to listen, to touch, and to show up, I cannot say to you this morning that there's a day coming when I go to heaven, I hope I get to sit next to my pap-pap at the banquet table of heaven and talk to him and rejoice and celebrate in the things that I've never been able to celebrate with him before. God is a good God, and he's good all the time. And the rest of the story, the story that I just shared with you, remember when I said, oh, ye of little faith? The story that I just shared with you was a story that God had intended for me to, say, to share at my Pat Pat's funeral service. Eleven of my family members that were far from God that were lost gave their lives to Jesus at my Pat Pat's funeral service. Listen, God loves you, and he has a great plan for your life. God wants to use you to intersect somebody else in their path, in their journey of life. That's what he's called all of us to do. If you would just do these three things, if you would stop long enough to listen, if you'll be a person of touch that won't be afraid to get your hands dirty, and then if you will show up when God speaks and you can hear him in a still, small voice, watch what God is going to do. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never experienced his love, I want to tell you that he's here ready to embrace you and he's ready to extend his hand to you and just show you how much he really does love you and care for you. He's got an incredible plan for your life. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.